Dotnet Rocks episode 632 with guest Michael Norton, recorded live Monday, January 24th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell. That's us. Hey, Richard. My friend. What is up? Uh, here we go. It's another day in .NET land and we've got our eager listeners there waiting. So let's not uh, keep them waiting any longer. We have to, man. All right. What do you got? I got a little thing called Better Know Framework. Awesome. Uh, well, okay. So uh, I went looking for some stuff that you might think is trivial, but um, it's kind of uh, information that you need it when you need it, you know? So yep. you know how you can do rounded corners in WPF and Silverlight? Yeah, that's one of the sort of claims to fame. Yeah. So there's a, a structure called corner radius. Really? Which represents the radii of a rectangle's corners. So it's got a top left, a top right, a bottom right, a bottom left, and all corners. And if only a single double value is specified for all corners, that measure is applied to all of the top left, top right, bottom right, and bottom left corners of the corner radius. I'm trying to imagine why you'd want different radii on different corners. You know, who knows? I'm, it's probably one of those things where they figured somebody's going to want to do that, and then they're going to complain. Yep, yep. So let's just do it once right. Who knows? You might want the exploding corner trick, you know? There you go. You know? Um, so anyway, there is also an ancillary class called a corner radius converter class. Oh. Corner radius converter. System.windows.corner radius converter that converts instances of other types to and from a corner radius. Okay. Yeah. Only WPF, as far as I can tell. Okay. I went looking and looking, and I guess this was one of the things that didn't make the Silverlight set. Oh, really? It's not there? Yeah, it's not there. It's not there in the documentation. I really couldn't find anything about it when I binged it, except for people who's who posted some code with it. So I can't really, I mean, I don't know if it's just the documentation that I'm linked to that's wrong, but it looks like it. it isn't there, but it is in WPF. So, but it's kind of neat because when you create this, you can see if you can, there's a can convert from method where mm-hmm. you pass in a type that returns whether the converter can convert an object of that given type to this type of converter. So it's really a you know, value converter. Sure. But, um, yeah, not there in Silverlight. There you go. I like it. For the corners among us. Maybe it's one of those WPF things. Yeah, it is. So who's talking to us, man? Well, Daniel Pratt's talking to us. Talking about uh, show 630. That was the one we did with Java Posse. Yeah, that was a great Hi, show. Hi, Carl and Richard. First, let it be said that I thoroughly enjoyed your last podcast with the Java Posse at CodeMash. So did we. Yeah, we did too. I'm decidedly in the .NET camp, but I listened to the Java Posse as well, so it was fun and a little trippy to hear you guys in action together. Huh. Yet again, the subject of functional programming comes up, and yet again, I experience a turmoil of emotion. Mm-hmm. 
These days, I think I mostly identify with Carl and his lack of enthusiasm for the current crop of hybrid functional programming languages like F-Sharp, Scala, etc. I was initially very enthusiastic about F-Sharp, but now having some experience with it, my enthusiasm has faded. And just to clarify, I'm, it's not that I'm not enthusiastic about it. Um, I just think that uh, it's a specialty language for... Um, you know, for, for things that require a functional language. Right. It's not a one-size-fits-all language, that's all. Yeah, it's not a general-purpose language, even though they're trying to make it that. Uh, my two major reasons for feeling this way are, one, while I think it is better than C-sharp in certain respects, it isn't that much better, especially in the face of all the new features being added to C-sharp. Right. Two, I don't think that F-sharp, or Scala for that matter, can really deliver on the promise of functional programming without some major help from the underlying platform. In order to safely and confidently add parallelism to any code, it must be the case that it is either A, parallel aware, meaning it takes locks when necessary and so on, or B, pure, having no external dependencies or side effects, and right. we know that option A is not practical for us mortal programmers, but option B isn't practical either unless the compiler and the type system can help us out. In other words, the compiler needs to be able to tell us, hey, the function you're passing to the parallel dot four is not annotated as pure and bad things may result. Right. Of course, in order to make writing pure code a practical exercise, we also need things like immutable types and a reasonably large set of core functions that are pure to go along with them. I could make this email several times larger, but I fear whatever slim chance I might have of getting a coveted DNR mug will evaporate if I indulge myself any further. <laughs> you, you, sir, are correct. <laughs> you are correct, sir. You are correct. <laughs> thanks for say, taking the time to read this missive, and thanks immensely for putting together a consistently great podcast, Daniel Pratt. Uh, and Daniel, you hit it right on the head. You got right length, but you also made a very, very good point, which I completely subscribe to. I think you've explained this very well. You know, nobody said that F-sharp is actually parallel because I don't think at this point it is. It has the promise of it. You know, the idea that functional program would be better for parallelism is pretty much self-evident, but nobody's actually done it. And it comes down to, like you said, the framework that whatever we're building on has got to be parallel savvy. And right now it's not. Right. And so with that effort, I will send you a mug. Congratulations and thank you very much for your great email. And if you've got questions and comments or ideas about shows, anything you want to talk about, send us an email, .net rocks at franklins.net. So, Richard? Yes, sir? So, uh, uh, I, got my, uh, I got my nephew a basketball for Christmas. Uh-huh. And uh, he looks at me and says, thanks, but where's the user guide? <laughs> he's, he's kind of a geek. <laughs> kind of a geek. It's a ball. It's a ball. <laughs> you go play. Where, Go play. Where, where's the controller for it? Yeah, where's the controller? <laughs> where do I put the batteries in? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Our kids. Yep. They're smart, but sometimes yeah. we wish they, wish they could experience life a little more. They're a little different than us. And uh, our guest today is Michael Doc Norton. Uh, Doc is a partner with Lean Dog in Cleveland, Ohio. He's an agile coach an active member in the Cleveland technical community where he helps uh, to coordinate the Cleveland Ruby Brigade and the Cleveland Agile User Group. Doc has over 20 years of experience in the IT industry in roles ranging from night shift operator to CTO. His passion is creating excellent software and helping others do the same. Toward that end, 
He is active in both the agile and craftsmanship communities, and also was with us on the uh, uh, Taking Control of Your Career series that we did from Ordev. Welcome back, Michael. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was a good show. Ordev yeah. was a good show, wasn't it? Yeah, Ordev was excellent. I was really, really impressed. They they do a, a, a great job. Um, I didn't know what to expect heading over there, and, and uh, just about every facet of it, I was... Um, it exceeded expectations, so I'm hoping to go back again next year. And it just keeps getting bigger and better. Um, yeah, we we had a good time, of course, Richard, talking to um, the uh, the keynoters, but uh, talking to everybody. I mean, we they we, they set us up, you know, at the end of the expo hall, and we just had a steady brigade of of uh, experts such as yourself coming through and talking to us. And we had a great time. It was very cool. I think it's also the diversity of Ordev. There's Every kind of development platform there and uh, generally really constructive conversations going on between the various uh, development technique camps and tool camps. Now, when you're talking about the craftsmanship community, Mm -hmm. that community must bridge, you know, multiple technologies. And you might you might probably have developers that are in vertical silos in every room. How is it always a challenge to sort of talk in generalities and not use specific technologies as an as an example, or is it getting easier and easier? I think it's getting easier and easier. Um, you know, in the in the kind of in the beginning, a lot of the folks that were involved uh, in a lot of the discussion kind of tended to be around uh, Ruby, um, and I, I think that just has to, has to do with um, who was kind of initially involved and what was going on in, in that community and and, and whatnot. But um, you know, we're seeing more and more. You know, .NET, Java, um, it doesn't really matter uh, what, you know, the platform is, what the language is. Um, people are interested in, uh, you know, uh, bettering themselves and delivering better software. Um, and we're starting to see a lot more of things like Scala and Clojure. Um, people are talking about JavaScript in a whole new way. So, yeah, it definitely bridges um, at least all the varying languages and, 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 and the varying platforms. Do you talk about patterns? I mean, some patterns will um, apply or not apply depending on the, the platform you're talking about. But do you ever, you know, when, you're, when your urge is to talk about some sort of implementation, do you ever get down to that level? Um, you know, the discussion around patterns a lot of times is um, more around when is it appropriate to apply them and when is it not. Yeah. Um, and as of late, there's actually been quite a bit of discussion about when is it appropriate to um, Maybe teach them, right? Uh, there's some there's some thought about um, folks that are still early in their uh, in their learning path. If they come across patterns and learn those, um, you know, are they misapplied or do they perhaps um, lack some of the of the foundation that would help them to better understand what it is that's really going on? Mm. Um, you know, when we look at uh, I have a tendency to to try and and not intentionally apply a pattern. I have a tendency to, as I'm refactoring code, and then I recognize that the path that we're on is similar to some pattern, then uh, apply it. So refactoring to patterns rather than deciding up front, oh, Hmm. well, this is clearly a visitor pattern. Well, and I think people's learning works like that, too. You know what I could compare it to, uh, Carl, is that learning the piano, because you start out learning the mechanics of the piano. Hmm. And it's not till later that you can even really grasp the theory around it. And patterns to me are much more theoretical. It's after you've built a certain amount of code, 
you start having this. Now, have you noticed there are some patterns here? Here are some defined patterns. Right. Well, yeah, you start you start learning um, theory right away, but it's just very simple. The mechanics of the piano are pretty easy. You press and you press the note down, and sound comes out. You know. But uh, but I know what you're saying. I think you're saying that you start with the basics. You know, you start with this is a middle C and this is an octave and and uh, these are the names of the notes. You know, the very simple stuff. And then as you get into it more, you discover more and more complex patterns. Yep. Yeah. And if you look at if you look at um, uh, like the uh, you guys familiar with the Dreyfus model of skill acquisition? Well, tell us anyway. Okay. So, um, yeah, so the, the Dreyfus model has um, basically five stages. Um, you are, you start as a novice, uh, you go to um, an advanced beginner, um, you begin to develop actual competence, then proficiency, and finally you're an expert. I think that's right. Um, and in, in each of those stages, so as a novice, um, it's really that you're, you're kind of learning things by rote, and there's a very... Uh, it, you adhere to whatever are the rules that were um, imparted to you, right? So, um, you know, I might be learning uh, Ruby and or or piano and or whatever, and and I know okay, these are the notes, and I know that this is kind of the sequence, and I can I can just I can play you know chopsticks by rote, and then I can play you know whatever is the next tune you know by rote, but mm. I don't really have an understanding yet of what it is that's, that's going on. Mm. Um, then, as an advanced beginner, um, I start to have uh, a better perception of what it is that's happening, right? I start to kind of get a sense of, of how these notes come together, and I, maybe I can start playing a little bit more by ear, um, and you know, I, I'm getting better at, at reading sheet music, et cetera. And I, then I move, when I move into to, to, um, competence, um, now I can actually... I can actually uh, approach problems with with you know a more uh, deliberate perspective, um, and it's not really until you get into like uh, proficiency and expert where uh, I guess competence even where where you start to recognize patterns and you're ready and willing to actually um, learn them and understand situationally how they apply. So if 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 we introduce complex patterns early on, you don't have that foundation where you really understand what it is that, that, that this is doing for you and how to appropriately apply it. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And it's not at the you know top level of your career, but sort of in that mid-competency range, you finally have the ingredients to grasp patterns? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think some of that is, is um, if you, so getting back to, you know, if we look at, at computer programming, we look at software development, um, you know, there's there's a real advantage to having actual clinical experience, meaning hands-on, right? Mm. So um, I can go through a formal educational program, and I do some development there, but I'm not doing a whole lot of, of, of real-world development, and maybe I'm doing some open-source stuff, so I've got a little bit more chops than, than yeah. some of the folks around me. Um, you know, but it's it's you're not really developing that skill set. You're not really practicing and and, uh, and and honing your skills until you get out into the you know into the real world. I guess. Well, um, yeah, the same way with music. I mean, you're not you're not a musician until you've played a lot. And right. The more you play, the more you realize that you know where you fit in the strata. <laughs> yeah. You no. Know? Uh, and how much more you need to practice, and you know to really satisfy yourself. And, right. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. It's only, and I think it's only playing in a group and and going out and doing it where where you really get good. Yep. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how'd you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type, and not just for the opened files? The new kit on the block, Just Code, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that Just Code is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where Just Code is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features Just Code offers and download a trial at telerik.com slash justcode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Yeah, so we so it you know makes you wonder if 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 we're learning patterns in college, have all of those folks really uh, reached the level of competence? Are they ready for that? Well, there is a simple way to find out. You know, here, do this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can you or can right. you not? Right. I, I also wonder if the you have to have a certain level of skill just to practice effectively in. Anything, music or programming, it's not like you could just practice. You know, you don't. You need to know a certain amount to know what effective practice is. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm learning to play, relearning to play bass, and I say relearning because at one time I, you know, could could do the standard boom, 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 boom type yeah. uh, type thing in a band. You know, they tell me, okay, here's a key change, and I could, you know, switch to that note. Um, and now I'm actually trying to learn how to really play it, and it's and. Uh, my practice is is um, very different than it once was. I used to play where I was just trying to, you know, I just want to play a song, so mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. Right. And and now, you know, I'm learning deliberately step by step. I'm learning about, um, you know, scales. I'm learning yeah. about uh, staccato arpeggios. I'm learning about and 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 my practice is actually quite slow. But yeah. I'm I'm trying to make sure that my tone is right, et cetera. And I didn't know to do these things before. I didn't really understand the 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 benefit of practicing scales until I got to Berkeley and they simply Berkeley School of Music and they simply made you do that. I mean, you will practice your scales for an hour or so every day, yeah, or more. And um, because it's boring and it's not music, you know, right? Just like doing katas is. Uh, you know, it's not developing an app. It's it's a practice. It's an exercise. Exactly. But what you're doing is you're you're sort of burning in muscle memory to your fingers, and in the case of katas, to your to your brain, and uh, your fingers remember so that when you do go out and play, you're you're just that much more agile. You're able to go faster from your impulse, your creative impulse to the sound through your fingers and you Mm -hmm. don't have a lot you don't you're not thinking as much when you're playing you do your thinking when you're practicing right and isn't it almost a prerequisite i was reading a book on exactly this i think it was uh, talent is overrated it said effective practice by its nature is unpleasant yep like there needs to be some state of discomfort for it to be effective you have to 
push against your ability. Richard, I was just dealing with this this morning. No kidding. Yeah, so my girlfriend Kelly's doing some transcription for us, and she feels about as smart as a hake, you know, when because she doesn't know anything about this business. So it's really frustrating for her because, and on top of that, she's transcribing Martin Woodward. <laughs> it's hard to understand in British and likes to throw off acronyms and 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 leave out verbs and things like that when he talks. And uh, so it, it just became very, very frustrating for her that every other sentence there was an asterisk for ask Carl what the hell this is all about. <laughs> and she felt really stupid. <laughs> you know, it became, she was almost like, almost gave up. Yeah. But, you know, and, and in fact, we forget that it's when you feel stupid and frustrated that you're learning. That's a sign that something's going on. You know, I told her, I said, I made a career out of feeling stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I learn I, something new every day. Yes. We're, we're starting to see more structure around the idea of katas in development. Yes. Uh, do you have favorites? Like, where do you get yours from there, Michael? So, actually, um, that's, a, that's a great question. I have been um, starting to compile a list of uh, uh, katas that, um, that I either use or that I know of, um, and I've put it up on my uh, blog, and I'm going to keep it, it uh, rolling, and I actually am looking for feedback from, from folks as, as, as well. Um, a lot of the ones that I do, uh, at least when I started, were um, Ruby Quiz. And that site has a um, hundred and some odd different uh, kata or or practices that are that are up there and available. Um, but then, uh, pragmatic programmers have uh, a whole set, um, and there are actually uh, there are actually you know several others that are that are out there. Um, all right, I've got the URL right here. It's um, Bitly, so it's a bit dot ly front slash get dash mojo and that takes you to a site on my blog that's got some of these listed and we'll, we'll keep it growing so um, like I mentioned uh, programmers have several there's probably tw there's 20 some on their site uh, there's a new site that I saw I don't know how new it is but it, but it was new for me um, where there's coding dojo they've got 25 different exercises and they've kind of broke them down into different categories uh, algorithms game modeling math etc um, and like I mentioned, Ruby Quiz, there's over 150 uh, different challenges there. And then one that, that um, I'm hearing more about, especially in the, uh, from functional uh, programming uh, areas, is uh, Project Euler. It's been around for a long time. It's a lot of math-based problems, um, but it looks very cool. And there's links to all of those uh, on that site. And, and just because the you know, like look at the Ruby quiz one, and some of these questions are great. You, you don't have to program in Ruby to do this. This no. work perfectly well in any language. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and they're usually they're they're usually very simple problems. Uh, very simple, um, as far as you read the description, you understand the problem. They're not necessarily simple in terms of uh, developing a solution. Um, are you guys familiar with code retreats? Sure. So, so just for I guess for the listeners, you know, the the code retreats um, are now happening all over the world. But it's it's folks getting together for um, a single day, eight hours, usually on a Saturday, um, 
and there's some real deliberate practice that goes on where um, you know folks are pairing, uh, they're doing test-driven development, um, and maybe uh, we're switching it up. So maybe you do um, just TDD at the first round and the second round, maybe you do, you do test-driven development like you mean it. So uh, that's a little more uh, difficult. You're, you know, you're staying in, in uh, you have your test class open and you're creating inter- inner classes uh, to make the test pass and you don't do any abstractions until they're absolutely positively apparent and necessary. Um, and, you know, we'll go through different rounds of it. But for code retreat, um, traditionally, and I don't think of, I don't think there's any that have, that have done it different. Um, the the problem set is Conway's Game of Life, and Conway's Game of Life is actually a very simple problem to understand. You have a board, and you can give it some dimensions. It has cells on it, and each cell is either alive or dead. And there are rules about. Uh, when a cell comes to life or when a cell you know dies so um if a live cell has uh three or more i'm going to get these wrong but if the live cell has let's say four or more neighbors it dies um if it has two or three neighbors it stays alive if it has less than two it dies and a dead cell has exactly three neighbors it comes to life hmm. right and so i mean that's you know that's that's pretty straightforward that's pretty simple and um, you have 45 minutes to pair up with someone and to work on this problem. And it's not a challenge to see if you can get it done. That is not the point of a code retreat at all. Mm. Um, the point of the code retreat is deliberate exercise and, you know, and, and practicing. Um, you know, so, so delivery is the furthest from our mind. But it is very rare that someone finishes it. And it is also quite common that if you do four or five pairing sessions in a day, you will discover four or five different ways to attack the problem. Right. You're gonna, mm. you know, you're gonna TDD from the outside in. From the, and you're, so let's start at the game level, or you're gonna start from the cell level, or you're gonna try and do the rules first, or you know, and maybe um, Corey Haynes is, is uh, facilitates a lot of these. In fact, he's he's one of the folks that originally got him started. And Corey will do things like he'll say, "Okay, guys." Now let's try and do this with no if statements. Hmm. And that becomes such an interesting challenge, yeah. you know, um, because you, you know, you suddenly realize that, you know, the implementation of the cell is simply, uh, it's either on or off. And so, you know, it, it, it because it's a bit, you you, you almost always have a, if alive or if something else, right. Um, so they're interesting You're doing challenges. XAML value converters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, then there's then there's whole arguments about like, well, okay, so we can put these in a hash table and we can do a lookup, but isn't that really just an if hidden in? Well, yeah, yeah it is, but it doesn't say if anywhere. Right. You know? um, but the, again, the, you know, the, the the point being that that these are simple problems to to grok as far as the actual problem domain, but it doesn't mean that they're simple to solve. And mm. the point of kata and the point of the code retreat is. Um, you know, to go outside of your comfort zone, to try and solve it in a way that you normally wouldn't. Um, yes, you probably have some preconceived, this is how it's supposed to be done. But set that aside and try something completely different. Learn from the experience. Feel that pain. Know that you're actually practicing. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of different layers of this. Not only just getting to be a better developer, but talk about strengthening a team. Yes. To take a team and send them off to a retreat. Because I find... 
you know, when we assemble new teams to do development projects, there's that three to six month period where everybody figures out that everybody else is more or less competent. Right. And and you really takes a long time to get stuff done. Like being able to, I could pitch that to an employer to say, give these guys a weekend to do something like this and really get to trust each other. Right. And be, uh, you know, the productivity boost is, is stunning yeah. when you can get yeah. over that hump. And we, we try to do this. So, you know, we, I, I do a lot of agile coaching. Um, it's, it's my, you know, primary source of revenue right now. And, and so we go into organizations who are looking to take their teams from, you know, whatever they were doing before. Uh, it, it, you know, might be waterfall. It might be, uh, um, just completely unstructured, but whatever. And they want to start implementing agile practices. And uh, my, I've got a whole view on that. It, it, to go agile, you don't implement practices. To go agile, you learn to actually follow the values. But um, that rant aside, um, we often encourage them to allow the development teams to take a day or two days and to go through something exactly like this. You might do a TDD workshop for those mm-hmm. where TDD, test-driven development, is not uh, familiar or common, and that might be a half-day kind of thing. Um, and maybe through that, we'll do like uh, Roy Osharov has a string calculator kata. So we'll have them work on that. And then if the company will you know, provide the time, and often they do, then we will do like a, a mini code retreat internal to that organization and, and go exactly through this. And it's very beneficial. There's a lot of learning that comes from it. And it does help a team gel much faster. You know, the other one that where I saw something like this was at the give camps. Where, you know, a group of developers basically thrown together for a weekend to build a website for a charity. Yep. But it was totally out of their comfort zone. Oh, yeah. And uh, it really stretched their abilities. And they were doing something good. Uh, I was fascinated how many folks just getting their head around the the CI aspect of it. Everybody was running on TFS and they had to build system and so forth in place. And for folks who'd never worked with that before, there was a lot of learning just on getting to the build phase where they could check stuff in and, and get something built before they could actually get going again. Like the, if you feel at the end of a weekend like that, you've learned a lot about how uh, application construction can be done. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We, we run, uh, uh, we run gift camps um, on the lean dog boat. We, uh, uh, we had a really good one last year. Um, we're getting ready to do one again this year. And I agree with you entirely. It's amazing to watch these folks come together. A lot of times you end up with a team that, you know, they've, they've never seen each other before. They know each other, you know, uh, just through um, uh, other outside groups, they don't work together in the same organization. Right. And in two days, two and a half, three days, they have to actually, you know, uh, to they don't have to, but they are they are striving to to deliver a solution. And um, you know, watching these teams come together and how they form and how they, you know, how they're able to to actually get that done is is really amazing. Um, you know, and we had a we had a pretty good um, this last round. We ended up with a hundred. Uh, volunteers. So we did projects for, I think, over a dozen organizations. And um, there were a couple where the scope was just way too large. We got them a good start, but didn't get it done. And the rest right. we got done. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's other, other interesting angle on that is figuring out what can we reasonably deliver in a weekend? Yeah. Like, you know, that ultimately can be built on. Like, you don't you don't want to leave the two by four sticking out of the walls. <laughs> You'd rather build a few fewer finished walls. Right, right. Yeah, 
So you've got, you've got a, you've got a very, one, one, what we, you know, what we did was we, um, we kind of, we vetted the candidates, right? If, so if someone, if a charity came in and said, Hey, you know, we'd really like you guys to work on this for us and what we want you to do and what they, then they would, you know, describe something that was a complete, you know, uh, write us a custom CRM. Um, okay. Yeah. It's not going to happen in a weekend, yeah. right? We can, no, and we just can, not a good idea. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We can load up sugar or something, but you know, um, <laughs> you know, but we had a lot that were, you know, the scope was, was a challenge, but reasonable and it could be done. Um, so we, you know, we kind of, we staged it that, um, you know, we knew that we had a chance for, for success and, and that was to everyone's benefit. It's not good for them if they come in with expectations of we're going to leave this weekend and we're going to have this awesome system. And right. we know as a, as a get go, that's not going to be possible. But, you know, one of the critical steps is figuring out scope, laying out priority, and, and, you know, establishing right up front, okay, we're mm. going to drive from highest priority through to hopefully end, and you need to be ready to make critical decisions about D-Scope in real time. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, folks can do that. Yeah, no, and it's it, very compelling. And I, 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 mean, I like the idea of throwing a bunch of people who don't know each other together to do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I also, again, think it's fascinating to take a team that, say, is maintaining an app that they've had for years and years and years and give them a greenfield project like that. Yes. Just to shake up their their sense of complacency and and you know see who stretches. Right. Uh I I'm going to digress a little bit here but I know both of you will appreciate this. Um Kent Allstad who's been on the show a few times and a very good friend of mine convinced me to get involved in a 48-hour film festival. Oh yeah. Where you have to make a 5-minute film in 48 hours with a total involvement of 10 people. So your actors, your crew, your editors, everything, you know, the total number is 10. Yep. And to me, one of those great demonstrations of teamwork where, you know, he was in charge. It was his event. He was going to you know, manage the whole process. Uh, because I missed the first meeting, I ended up being the lead actor. <laughs> and my, my fault entirely. But then, you've, then, you know, the interesting part for me is how do I do my best, you know, best serve this team? And uh, for a guy who ended up being in almost every scene, the main thing was being willing to be in every scene and just not be miserable about it. Because seeing, you know, costume changes and all that, you know, shoot that again, shoot that again, shoot that. It was hard. Yeah. For over a, a day and a half. But it was another one of those. You know, there was a, you know, the tr- there's a transcendent moment in any development project and so forth. So the transcendent moment in this was when the team organically split into two units. There was a bunch of background shooting that could be done independent of me doing certain scenes by myself. And so, you know, there was two cameras and one, you know, one of the other guys says, I can handle that camera. And they just formed a second unit out of these 10 people and got it done. So you refactored. That's what you're they saying. They did. <laughs> but it just, you, I, I think there's a point to be made here that we've talked about this in the context of music and in the process of software and so forth. There are a lot of opportunities that exercise these same muscles right. about how to work well with your team. Right. Yep. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, Provide PDF and HTML output. Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course. A great access report upsizing wizard. And all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. I noticed you named your blog post 
Sharpening the Saw, which is a Stephen Covey reference, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Yes. The, the Seventh Habit. Yes. Yes. And I think um, an extremely important one. Um, you know, I, I, I read Covey a long time ago, and uh, that resonated with me. And um, naming it Get Your Mojo just seemed a little silly. So sharpening the saw <laughs> was good. Well, and, and this idea that how often do we as developers actually work on our skill set beyond doing the job? Yeah. Well, you know, and that's that's what this whole thing is all about. You've have you seen a uh, a dramatic increase in the number of pe- number of people that are doing katas and going to the retreats in the yes. last few years? Yeah, we just so we just did one um, this past weekend, and um, we had fifty people. We had to cap it. Um, it was the largest that we've ever had. Um, yeah. We're doing the second annual um, in. Uh, Michigan coming up here in a couple of weeks. And I think we're going to have to cap that one as well. Uh-huh. Um, so it used to be that we had a hard time getting, you know, uh, 15, 20 people. And now, you know, we're turning away after 50. So yeah, a lot more people coming out. Um, and I see a lot more posts about Kata and a lot more information about, you know, just learning. Yeah, this is not just about learning the first time. No, no, it's continual learning. Right. Uh, it's 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 about, um, you know, constantly getting better at what it is that we do. And I think this is appropriate. I think it's something that, that, that you know, folks do who take um, their, I'll say, craft seriously, no matter what their vocation. Um, but I think in software development, especially, it becomes that much more important because things are constantly changing. Right. There's there's, yeah. you know, new technologies. Yeah, I remember jumping from DBase to VB, and you sort of got into this practice of build a CRUD app. Right. right. You know, the, can I add a record, delete a record, update a record, you know, search a list, the, the stuff that business apps are made of with the new tool. So how do I do this in this tool? Right. Yeah, and now, now there's just so many, so many patterns. I mean, we're not just building CRUD apps anymore. We're building complex apps that have the same patterns over and over again. So... Give us some. Um, I I always thought it would be fun to come up with katas, to come up with uh, stories, you know, and and put and applications that you can build. But I always, you know, being a creative guy, I'm, I always imagine myself making up surreal stuff. You know, like imagine you're on the moon and there's no oxygen, and you've discovered a uh, you know a, a a source buried and you know make up some crazy story right so you got to write a program to like mine the rock that can be pressed into you know that kind of thing right turn right. into oxygen well i dig those right so, so i mean you know we do um uh we do a programming challenge when you apply to to lean dog as a developer one of the things that you have to do is a programming challenge and you know we want the algorithm to be relatively simple mm-hmm. but we want the problem to be you know somewhat interesting so if you look at like um, ThoughtWorks does the same thing, and, and they have like a they have a Mars rover where you have to be able to program the rover to uh, respond to certain acti- actions and you know uh, not fall off the, the its designated surface, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and so one of the one of ours is that um, you've got a uh, a grid of varying heights and depths, and you need to figure out. 
um, what is the path of least resistance across that grid? So you're going to you're basically going to pour water at one point. What path will that water follow to flow out the other end? Hmm. Oh, cool. Um, and then we've got one where you have um, a security system that uh, has six keys, one for each member of your family. So everyone has to be there to unlock the house. And it starts with, um, it randomly starts with a color and ends with a color. And you guys have your, each key has um, a, a color on the left and a color on the right. And you've got to figure out how to sequence your keys to get it to unlock where you know it's color matching. Um, and I mean, really, they're, they're fairly simple problems, but you know, how do you put it into some context that folks haven't heard of or thought of before? So they're actually kind of fun to put together. And it does seem like there's an interesting challenge here to make them too complicated or too product-specific. Right. Now, we want, we, we want something that, that and we give people three days to, to, to actually do the coding challenge, but I don't want it to take them three days. I want it to be something you could sit down and do fairly easily. Um, and then the three days is because people have lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there another side of this if it's not just enough to make it work? Yeah. Um. You know, when when we get these, we're looking at a number of different um a number of different things. We're looking at um, you know, the the composition of your classes. Uh, we're looking at kind of you know how did you think this through? We're looking for how did you test it? If you tested it. You know, did you test drive it? Did you test after? Um, and you can infer that from uh, the way the tests are written. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that we're looking for in, in, those, sub, in those submissions. Um, I don't think I'm giving anything away. I usually tell folks this is what I'm looking for when I give them the, the challenges. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot more to it than just make it work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the question is, do you do you first write it to make it work and then go in and start refactoring for elegance or efficiency or any of those sorts of things? So, I mean, the way that I would approach it and the way, um, you know, what I'm ideally looking for is um, you're going to test drive it, right? So, mm-hmm. so you're going to actually, um, I don't know if you're going to start, you know, uh, you've got to make a decision on where it is you're going to begin. And you're going to say, okay, how is this thing supposed to behave? And you write a test, uh, a simple test. You make it pass, um, you know, and it's 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 not a, a very comprehensive across the board. You know, for example, well, my first test is that, you know, the uh, water should make it all the way across the board with the lowest, you know, low, for the path of least resistance. No, that's the whole problem. Your first step is, is probably something along the lines of um, from a given component on the grid, I know what the next lowest value is around me. Right. Right. So, I, all right. So, I'll do that one, and then you know, and then I'm and then I'm going to go ahead and build upon that. Maybe I'm just building the intelligence of the actual grid pieces, and then I need to figure out, do I need a board or not, et cetera. Um, and you're going to be refactoring as you go along, right? So you you know you write a test, you make it pass, and then you take us you take us take a break, look at the code. Is there any opportunity here? Do I have duplication? Is there responsibility in the wrong place? Is mm-hmm. that just freaking ugly? Can I extract a method, et cetera? Make those changes. Make sure you didn't break any of your tests because they were all green before you made that change. You're still good to go. Do the next test. Um, and obviously, not everyone approaches it that way. Some folks will take large chunks and test them after. Um, you know, we're, we're looking for folks who are going to be more uh, geared towards the test-driven approach. Yeah. 
And you're sort of hinting at an interesting angle on this, which is the same way that we took a range of tools and tried to build the same app. It's here, get the same app built with a range of technique. Mm -hmm. What you know? What if we do this in a pair programming approach? What if we try the you know do this as test first? Each one of these can be successful. Which one feels good? Right. Or right. is the way that a particular organization works too? I think it, you know, very interesting idea that that to go to the CATA approach to teaching test driven development inside of your organization. Yeah. How, how complex do your CATAs get? I mean, do you ever feel like you're hitting a ceiling when you're when you're doing these things, or is there just no limit to the amount of uh, difficulty that you can throw on a on a student? No, we, I mean, you know, you want to, actually, that's a really good question. So, so, um, the, you know, the, the simpler ones, which is usually what we're, what we're dealing with, you know, you want them to be able to, to be solved within a relatively finite period of time, right? But we're actually working on a program right now. Um, uh, a couple of us had a phone call last night on this and, and we're going to keep moving it forward where we want to take this concept and kind of extend it where, um, instead of coming in for an afternoon and, and doing kata together. Um, what if we set up six afternoons over a month and a half period, and um, we worked on you know a a more meaty problem? So what is what is the size of you know that problem? Right? How can we give them something that's that's going to every week they can build upon the prior week? And this is more. Um, it's not just practicing the craft, but but it's also trying to gear towards working more as a team to actually achieve a larger end, right? So we're now we're we're not just teaching you how to be good software developers um, as far as hands-on keys and methods and approach, but how to be a good team of software developers. And we haven't figured that one out yet, right? What's what is uh, what is too big? Um, mm. And and what's not big enough? And I think we're going to have to iterate through and kind of figure that out. Right. We're, we'll give it a shot, and and if they finish it in three three days, and we got three three to go, uh, dang, we'll make something up and keep going. And I, you know, <laughs> after a couple of iterations, we'll I think we'll get it nailed. When I taught a, a VB six class, um, one of the very first things I did, and this was probably ninety, I don't know, I, one of the first things I did was I said, all right, here's a text file that your boss gave you as a dump from somebody's email account, and there's lots of email messages in it. I want you to mine it for email messages, and here are the criteria, or email addresses, rather, and here's uh-huh. the criteria that, you know, of what an email address can be. Okay. So it was an exercise in string handling. You know, they had right. to go through and uh, load this thing into a string, and using the simple tools of you know, what was it, uh, instir and right. midstring and all of that stuff, you know, and, and, and I never forget this. I got groans and like, are you kidding me? This is kindergarten. And then, uh, you know, oh, yeah? three Do hours it. later, <laughs> these guys are like, oh my God, this is really crazy. Strings. I thought I knew strings. Yeah. What did you say? Can I just load a regex library? Yeah, exactly. Use Pearl, please. Yeah. Yeah. And this is long before that. So. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I had them. Cry. I had some people crying. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. It is remarkable. It, it, and again, Conway's game of life is the same kind of thing, right? It seems like a really simple problem, and yet, you know, um, when you take you can take different runs at it, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, this can this can be, you know, a very difficult problem to solve if I if I apply certain constraints on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can be, and for me, that's a lot of fun. Um, I'm not sure parsing emails out of out of a huge text file is fun, but yeah. I like the challenges. Well, yeah, and uh, it's always it's always more difficult than you think it's going to be. Oh yeah, it's always always going to make you think. Yep. Well, isn't it funny that we go through this sequence of learning where we start off thinking something is much more trivial than it is, then mm. finally get a grasp and it's harder than you think. Then finally, you know, get successful with it. And finally, and when we're really good with it, then we talk about how trivial it is. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, every problem, like, you know, and I've, I've said this before, you know, we, we're working on some application and, and for whatever reason, we can't get these tests to pass or we just can't seem to get it to do what we want it to do. And we're having some kind of a problem. And every time I know that when it's done, it's going to be a duh. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason it's going to be it does because once you know the answer, it's obvious. Right. Everything's easy when you have all the answers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, once you've gone through that pain and you've solved it, then for you, eh, it's trivial. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then, of course, what do we do? We mock those that are struggling with it. Right? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ho- hopefully we can do a little less of that going forward. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. That, that I, That's always an interesting thing, um, how... You know, if you're a new developer to a team, and many teams don't give you uh, uh, a whole lot of support in the beginning, and what it really comes down to is, you know what, dude, I had to run the gauntlet. Right. I had to feel the pain, and so you do too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Some kind of rite of passage. That's right. Sharing the pain. Yep. Well, Mike, what's next for you? What's next for me? Um, you know, uh, what we are um, looking to do is, uh, so right now, uh, like I said, I do a lot of agile coaching, right? I'm doing a lot of mm-hmm. transformations. So I'm going into teams and, and, and helping them um, move to agile methodologies. And, and a lot of times that's not just engineering stuff. I mean, in fact, more often it's about, um, you know, communication and how people get along and, and, and those types of things. Um, you know, what we're, what we're looking to do next is... Uh, we are uh, trying to do more uh, studio-oriented work, and we are starting an apprenticeship program, and I'm going to be uh, playing a pretty key role in that, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Cool. An apprenticeship is sort of a big topic all by itself that, you know, what does it mean to be an apprentice, and what do you graduate from an apprentice into? Right. Right. And I'm, I'm, it's funny, I'm actually kind of... Um, I'm struggling with that a little bit myself as far as the terms and that that are around craftsmanship. You know, I've, I hear people talk about guilds and that type of thing, and mm-hmm. it's not common. Um, it's not common within the craftsmanship uh, circles. It's common outside people looking in saying, oh, I don't want to get involved in that. Um, but I'm not comfortable with the term master. Right. That's, that's, that's the one that, yeah. that, that uh, isn't, isn't setting well with me. Because you're never really a master, are you? Exactly. You, you know, so so I, can, I can understand that you're an apprentice, you're coming in and you're brand new and you're learning, but I, then, so, so perhaps you, you graduate or you evolve or you morph or whatever it is that you do, whatever, the, you know, whatever the, the metamorphosis is that you go through, you become a journeyman, meaning that you know, you're on a continual path to learning. 
Mm-hmm. And and I think that's where you stay. I, I, I'm not sure, you know, when is when is there mastery? I don't know. And it, it's, you know, kind of a, I guess, kind of a Zen thing. But, um, yeah, so I'm uncomfortable with that term, but I'm not uncomfortable at all with journeyman. I like the idea of that we're on a constant path of learning, that we're always... You know, trying to improve and find the next and find the next thing. Um, you know, I may be even um, maybe in my in my work life, I work on a single platform in a single technology in a single domain for a single employer. There is still opportunity there for me to continue to learn and hone my skills and get better at what it is that I do. Yeah. Well, and I don't think anybody ever denies the idea that masters continue to improve. I think the bigger issue here is that our industry keeps shifting underneath you right. and you're thrown back into the journeyman state over and over and right. over again. Okay. You can be a master for a week. Yeah. Right. Then your title needs to be. Uh, yeah. yeah. Congratulations on your competence. Here is version two. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, this is true. Uh, it's actually part of, we, we were talking about it the other night um, as, as we're looking at getting our, our, our program together. That's, that's, that's part of what we're talking about was, you know, we have to bear in mind that whatever we start off with as this is the apprenticeship program, it's going to be constantly changing because um, even if you ran it for two years as originally designed, it would be so outdated. It's just not fair to the folks sure. that, are, mm-hmm. that are involved. Well, this is the problem we've got in the, in the university system and the college system is the material is too stale. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I honestly yeah. think that... that um, so if you look at other industries, so you look at, at, at medical and, and engineering and, and several others, um, for us to look at our educational system as a solution is, is I just don't think it's right. Um, and, and I, like, you know, not ethically wrong or anything, but, you know, look at those industries and, and, and in school, in college, you learn, um, theory and you learn philosophy. And there may be some clinical practice, but where you, but you know, most of these professions where you actually get the hands-on is that there are there are clinicals afterwards. You become an intern. You, you know, do your residency. Um, you know, whatever it might be. And uh, for me, as we look at these apprenticeship programs and what's happening with them and, and where it's going, um, what I am hoping for is that it will ultimately evolve into something along those lines where. Um, you know, we have enough companies in a given region who all have apprenticeship programs who are working together, um, you know, co-opetition, if you will, yeah. that, that a university then can be approached and could say, look, we have all of these companies in your area that we would love to use your graduates as a feeder program into these, you know, into these clinicals. And, you know, over time, maybe that would become something that's even more, um, more formalized. Uh, and we can introduce, you know, a real clinical study to, you know, comp sci. Well, Doc, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a great conversation. And as yeah, always, absolutely. keep educating us. Well, thank you very much. It was a good time. All right. Always fun talking to you guys. You too. And we'll see you maybe at Ordev, and we'll see you next time on Dotnet Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com.
Franklinsnet.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 